values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Good morning, everybody. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. And we've been focusing a lot of attention today on the China threat. And uh, in order to really, really understand it as Americans, I, I think we have to understand a little bit about what makes China tick and uh, how they perceive, perceive the world uh, in, in relationship to how we see the world. And as such, I've got a guest on uh, named Christopher Balding, who was a professor at Beijing University for 12 years and knows a lot about what's going on in China. Chris, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Matt. So, Chris, that's kind of interesting. You, you, an American, uh, were a professor of economics at a very large and prestigious China, Chinese university, Beijing University. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? What, what, what took you over there? Yeah, so I uh, I arrived in China to be a professor in 2009, and I think one of the things that's so interesting is that it was a very different time. And in fact, uh, the first number of years that I was there, uh, the entire pitch uh, made to me in uh, to, to, to bring me over, and when when I was there in the early years, was that China wanted to open up, and ch- they wanted to build graduate schools in business and law and economics. Uh, that were that were just like American uh, style schools where free thinking was encouraged and they were recruiting uh, foreign faculty so that uh, 50% of the faculty I worked with were non-Chinese faculty. Um, next door to us was, was a law school where they, they actually had uh, a graduate law program in, uh, in English with foreign law professors from all over the world that taught the adversarial type of legal education that, that would be uh, very familiar here in the West. And so it was a very different time than, uh, than I think what China has become over the past, say, decades since Xi Jinping entered office. So, so Chris, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I went to Congress uh, the first time in 1995. And uh, one of the very first things I did that year was go on a congressional trip uh, with uh, Newt Gingrich, who was then the Speaker of the House, uh, to China. I was the only member of the entire Congress that speaks uh, Mandarin Chinese or speaks spoke Mandarin Chinese uh, because I served a mission for my church in Taiwan as a young man. And I, I got to recount for you a, a, an interesting story. Uh, I think the listeners will enjoy it, too. But um, there was about 20 members of Congress from both sides of the aisle uh, that went on this. Uh, we called them CODEL, Congressional Delegation to China. And it, we were meeting with all the top brass. We, we actually got a chance to meet with the president of China, Jiang Zemin, who was the president of the time. But we met with a lot of the top brass. And one of the meetings uh, I'd like to talk about was a meeting with the top general uh, from the Chinese army. 
And uh, he walks in the door uh, speaking to his underlings in Mandarin Chinese and saying the most horrible things he possibly can about our delegation. We're a bunch of idiots and we don't know what we're doing. And and uh, China has a 5,000 year history. We have only 200 years. What do we know about anything? And, and, and just saying all kinds of derogatory things uh, about uh, the people in our delegation. And I let him go on for about five minutes and then I started speaking Mandarin. And I, then I then I watched his mouth hit the floor uh, because uh, he didn't know. And uh, they should have done a little bit better vetting, I guess. But uh, uh, he quickly said, oh, you speak Mandarin Chinese. And I said, yes, I do. And we're talking in Mandarin. And he says, you know, I didn't mean any of those things that I said. I was just joking around. Uh, but from that point in time, it, it brought a, a, a big degree of honesty uh, to the uh, to the equation, and and the whole tenor of the meeting changed. Um, but uh, y- y- you know, you you probably had similar experiences. Did you speak Mandarin when you went there? I, I did not speak Mandarin uh, when I went there, and I think one of the things that was so educational for me uh, was was first of all, I I, my, I raised my children going to Chinese uh, Chinese language schools, so uh, they actually speak fluent Chinese, uh, and they that's how they that's how they've grown up their entire life. And I think just as important to me is not just the words that are used that, that are used, but um, as, as as you noticed with your with your interaction with the general. Is it's very different what you will be told in public and then what goes on behind closed doors. And so one of the things that I became very skilled at was was those types of interactions where you could pick up the spoken things and what was said uh, when you weren't supposed to be paying attention and things like that. There's, there's an enormous gulf between that 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 public uh, PR push and, and and what is said behind closed doors in China. So, do you believe after 12 years teaching at Beijing University and really getting to learn a lot of things behind the scenes, do you think that uh, uh, Xi Jinping, the president of China, wants to get back to the old glory days of Mao uh, as far as communist China China on steroids? I, I think that is unfortunately a very accurate description, and and and, and I'll just tell you a brief story that that really began to, to open my eyes. Um, and th- this was about 2014-15, and I started having interactions with my colleagues, and I began to to pick up how deeply concerned they were about the direction of China. And and, and I should emphasize, my colleagues, many of my Chinese colleagues, anyway. Um, were CCP members. You know, these were not, you know, democracy advocates. Just so everybody knows out there, CCP is Chinese Communist Party. Yes. Um, And so to see the worry in uh, in concern on my colleagues' faces in words uh, that that I would consider pro-party, even if they weren't CCP members, that to me was very instructive because they were that deeply concerned. It meant I should probably be doubly concerned. So let me ask you kind of an off-the-wall question. What kind of a, and, and it'll be my last one because then we have to move on, and I'm sorry, I wish I could talk to you forever, but what kind of a threat does TikTok pose to our national security? 
TikTok poses um, an, an enormous threat to national security, and the the, the basic reason is is that um, is that yes, it collects all of this data, but even just very technically, it actually gives uh, TikTok enormous control over your entire phone. It's not just monitoring. Did you watch this cat video or whatever? It actually gives TikTok an enormous amount of control over your entire phone, and so when you, when you could basically do that as a foreign government on, you know, I think uh, there's 200 million users in the United States right now, um, and they have that access to your phone or computer, that that is an enormous national security threat. Well, Chris, I wish we could talk forever, but, but we, unfortunately, we're out of time. And I'm, next time I'm on, I'd love to have you on again, because I, I, I know you're a wealth of knowledge. And I appreciate uh, the fact that uh, you are a, a tried and true American patriot, and I appreciate your being on the program. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Matt. Thank you. So next up, we're going to talk about Did You Hear This? That's the part of the program or the part of the day that you all don't want to miss. We're going to talk about the important things that are happening in our world today. Stick with us. This is Matt Salmon on KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So this is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead, and it's been a real thrill being on with you today. I think we've covered some really important topics and talked to some really influential people uh, in this great country of ours. Uh, I live in the East Valley. I live in Mesa. I uh, lived there for most of my life and grew up there. And uh, we have a guest on the program uh, that uh, is uh, going to be – oh, I'm – I jumped ahead of myself, and Julia is pointing, going, Matt, Matt, uh, no, no. Anyway, I, this is the part of the program where we cover, did you hear this? And we cover the topics of the day. And so thank you, Julia. Good sign language. Good thing I can read it. This Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. The Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, spoke yesterday at the Senate Intelligence hearing on worldwide threats, specifically on her concerns about China. The CCP represents both the leading and most consequential threat to U.S. national security and leadership globally, and its intelligence-specific ambitions and capabilities make it for us our most serious and consequential intelligence rival. Do you agree with her assessment? I totally agree. I think that China poses the biggest existential threat to the United States and our freedom and our way of life uh, of any entity in the world today. They also are palling around uh, with the likes of Vladimir Putin in Russia. Uh, in fact, it's also alleged that they've been providing weapons uh, to Russia uh, for their uh, their war on Ukraine. And uh, also uh, they're palling around with Iran uh, and their nuclear desires. So uh, you talk about an axis of evil. Uh, this is something I'm very, very concerned about. All Americans should be concerned about. In the wake of Americans being kidnapped in Mexico, some like Senator Lindsey Graham are calling for the United States to take more definitive action against the cartels. American law needs to change to make sure we deal with them appropriately. And as we designate them FTOs, the next step will be to provide authorization to use military force to eradicate the Mexican drug cartels that are poisoning America. Can the United States military, can the United States use the military in this way? So I've said 
for a long, long time that one of the first things that we need to do is declare the cartels a terrorist organization. And if we do so, yeah, we can use all of the tools in our tool belt to eradicate them, to bring them to justice. The fact that two Americans were killed in Matamaros in this uh, uh, this kidnapping uh, is beyond nuts. They were going into Mexico for some medical issues, uh, and uh, uh, they were kidnapped. Two Americans were killed. I couldn't agree with Lindsey Graham more. First and foremost, let's declare the cartels a terrorist organization and then do everything we can to eradicate them. You're listening to Did You Hear This? Where every day at this time we get you caught up on the latest headlines. And Arizona Senior Senator Kirsten Cinema spoke today at the Senate Banking Committee hearing on how high inflation and interest rates are affecting Arizona's economy. Higher prices are making it more difficult to afford groceries, gas, rent, and airfare. But on the other hand, rising interest rates are crowding out investment and making it more difficult for first-time homebuyers to buy a home. Inflation has also slowed housing development to a halt in Arizona. And as you know, Chairman, housing is a major economic contributor in my state. What is the solution to getting inflation under control? Well, first and foremost, and I've said this a million times, and I'll say it a million and one, uh, we need to cut our spending in Washington, D.C. Out-of-control spending is leading to out-of-control inflation. Uh, The answer by the Federal Reserve is to raise interest rates and put people out of work and to screw around with the stock market and our 401ks. And you know what? It's time to get serious about our country's financial health and when is either one of the political parties going to get up stand up to the plate and say enough is enough we're going to stop mortgaging our children's future our grandchildren's future away and we're going to get our financial house in order it is the spending stupid The Anti-Defamation League released a report that says incidents of white supremacist propaganda in the United States reached an all-time high in 2022. More than 6,700 recorded incidents, up 38% from the year before. The ADL says reported incidents of explicitly anti-Semitic propaganda more than doubled. What can we do to end hatred in this country? Well, for one thing, I think uh, most of us need to get on our knees and pray a little bit more. Uh, Hatred is not something that America was ever built upon. uh, And white supremacy has no place in this country. And we need to focus our attention on working together, finding solutions together. We come from a country that's a melting pot where people come from different religions, different racial backgrounds, different uh, everything. And we need to do everything we can to appreciate one another, to work together. We're all in this together, and we all have a vested interest in the outcome of this great country. You know, you've uh, been able to participate, and now did you hear this? Finally, uh, I was taking us down a different rabbit hole, but uh, Julia got me back on track again. I hope you're going to stick with us because uh, next I'm going to be interviewing uh, one of our uh, bright lights in the East Valley. Uh, He's the head of the East Valley Partnership, which is responsible for job growth and financial strength in the East Valley and being a citizen of Mesa in the East Valley. I care very much uh, about the success of what they're trying to accomplish. So stay with us, and we're going to be having Jimmy Lindblom, the head of the East Valley Partnership, up next. This is Matt Salmon, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app.
Hi, everybody. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead on the Mike Broomhead Show here on KTAR. And uh, welcome to this uh, beautiful March morning. And uh, the weather's starting to get really, really nice. It's the part of the year we all live for. And uh, with me today, I have a, a guest that's a good friend of mine. His name is Jimmy Lindblom. He happens to be the chairman of the uh, East Valley Partnership. And uh, welcome aboard, Jimmy. Thanks. Great to be with you, Matt. Pleasure yeah. to be on the show today. Great to have you on. Jimmy, tell us, what what uh, what does the East Valley Partnership do? Who are the members uh, of the East Valley Partnership, and what do they do? What do they, what do they hope to accomplish? It's a good question. Uh, East Valley Partnership's a collaboration of businesses, schools, government, uh, utility companies, all working together to help create a good business climate for the East Valley. Okay, and and so how long has it been in operation, and what uh, what are the the things that you hope to accomplish in the near future? That that is a good question. I think I should know how long we've been in 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 uh, Matt. It's uh, we were little when when they started. Okay, so I um, I I want to say we're on forty years, but. Wow. Um, the the group is um, actively, you know, we, we consist of um, a board that works together every month to come up with, uh, you know, be 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 in the mix, be in the in the know on what's going on, create the right uh, business climate. We lobby for good good uh, public policy. We try to unite the schools with the businesses that are coming in to meet workforce demands. Um, those are the types of things that we're doing every day. Which cities are part of the East Valley Partnership? Yeah, so um, Tempe, Gilbert, Chandler, Queen Creek, Mesa, um, Apache Junction. Um, all of those are consist of the East Valley Partnership. So when it comes to being business friendly, what kind of things are you looking for? What, what kinds of policies make a place business friendly? <laughs> well, we like to have, uh, you know, businesses like to just be able to do business. They need barriers of entry removed, uh, government uh, support, but um, kind of stay out of the way in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're trying to, um, support anything that helps with workforce development, um, those types of issues, but really create a nice, stable, uh, and stable, I think, is a key word. People like um, consistent, predictable um, environments to come and do business in. That's what businesses want. They want to be able to come and do business in a place where they know what it what it looks like to do business and they know that you know they're not going to have to pay a fortune to in a tax in taxes and those types of things to be able to to be able to operate so, so those are all the kind of things we're looking at so taxes regulatory policy uh, so when it comes to uh, zoning uh, would that be part of uh, what you're concerned about sure zoning's definitely a part of it infrastructure is a part of it where we've got to have um, and in fact I just came out of uh, I'm a commissioner on the Maricopa Planning and Zoning Commission and I barely walked out of that just in time to be able to jump on this call uh, you know zoning uh, being able to work with the municipalities to create um, environments or or zones in which you know we we uh, you know you, you've got to have good good 
community planning because you don't, you don't want neighbors conflicting with businesses and vice versa. You've got to have good land use planning. And so we're definitely at the table on those, those types of issues. So how do the cities that stack up that are members of the East Valley Partnership when it comes to being business friendly? Uh, say that part again, sorry, Matt. How do they stack up? How do the East Valley uh, cities stack up in terms of being helpful to bring yeah, business? Good question. And I, I think um, each one of them are uh, some better in other areas and some um, some not so good in some areas. But I, I would say as a region, they work very well together. I would say as a region, the East Valley is a place to come and do business. And um, you see that. I mean, City of Mesa Economic Development Group alone is tracking tens of millions of square feet of new product that's still online coming in, in at some form of construction stage or planning right now, you look at Intel and Chandler and their their recent announcement of you know I think it was another twenty billion dollars, some massive number. And uh, if you look at the East Valley, they it has really become a bullseye nationally. Uh, we're we're bringing in national names to to the East Valley. Gulfstream just relocated um, their western or is in the process right now of building on. Phoenix Mesa Gateway, uh, a massive facility to to uh, house their their maintenance facility and and their operations for the West Coast here in in the East Valley. It, what what's happening is uh, people are starting to realize the the type of people that live there. They're at, they're educated, they're skilled, they're high quality of life. Um, you know, to live in the East Valley, and those are all the things that are just the perfect recipe for for growth in the in the business world. So I know in the past that the cities kind of competed against each other for retail. You know, they, they all wanted the auto dealerships, the the big box uh, retail, uh, and now they're kind of realizing we've got to be a lot more diverse and a lot more, uh, you know, working together with other cities for the region. Do you see a lot of that happening? Uh, yeah, for for sure. There is there is not a scarcity mentality amongst the collaboration and um, that's where the partnership, but outside of that, I mean, you, you, you go to a city manager's conference or an Arizona, the economic development conferences and the, those within the staff and councils and mayors, they have solid relationships and it's really a, you know, success for one is success for the other and that the region will lift as we all have wins. And so there's a lot of uh, crossover working together on, um, you know, bringing in uh, companies and, and trying to just promote the region as a whole. And, and that's great. It's what we need. And it's smart. Jimmy, thank you so much. This has been really, really helpful. I'm thrilled that you could come on the show. And I'm glad to see that the cities are working together for the benefit of uh, the region. I think that's a smart policy. Uh, And I look forward to chatting with you again later. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we got great town managers and mayors and economic development people that are making it happen. Have a great day. You too. So up next, we're going to be talking about an Arizona rancher uh, down in the Nogales area that has been charged with second-degree murder uh, for shooting a Mexican national on his property. And why are we here? Stick with us on the Mike Broomhead Show. This is Matt Salmon. We're going to be talking about that horrible incident and how lives have been upended because 
the administration is not doing its job on the border. So stay with us. This is Matt Salmon, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hi there, this is Matt Salmon with KTAR in for Mike Broomhead. You know, folks uh, of my political persuasion, very, very conservative, uh, have been pretty hard on the media. But you've heard me today being hard on uh, one of the conservative uh, media uh, personalities out there, uh, Tucker Carlson, for saying one thing and doing another, uh, as he's uh, behind the scenes been incredibly critical of uh, Donald Trump. And then on his TV program uh, to sell clicks and uh, and uh, uh, basically uh, bring viewers, uh, he has been very, very positive about Donald Trump. So, you know, my fair question is, will the real Tucker Carlson please step forward? Um, but there are some in the media that I really respect. And, and one of them uh, wrote a very thought-provoking editorial uh, the other day, uh, Phil Boas. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief over at the Arizona Republic. And I know, I know, a lot of conservatives aren't real thrilled to, uh, with a lot of the stuff in the Arizona Republic. But i got to tell you, I think Phil calls him as he sees him. I think he's fair. I think he's thoughtful. And this uh, recent piece he put together about the uh, uh, gentleman in his mid-70s in Nogales area uh, that's now been uh, accused and charged of second-degree murder of a Mexican national who trespassed on his property on January 30th. Um, it's a heart-wrenching situation that we actually shouldn't be in. Uh, and if the federal government actually did their job enforcing the law and making sure that uh, uh, people weren't indiscriminately crossing the border, or if they do, and they break the law, that they're charged with breaking the law, and they're actually punished by being deported or or whatever the law calls for. It's not been done, and it's not been done by uh, people in, in Republican and Democrat administrations for literally decades. And because of that, it's, it's, it's leading us into horrible painful situations like uh, the, the situation now and either way you look at it whether this man is innocent uh, of uh, of murdering somebody or whether he's guilty of murdering somebody either way you look at it it is a heart-wrenching horrible situation that our federal government has placed this in and it's a story and this is how uh, Phil uh, approached it. This is a story about the chaos on our national border with Mexico, where illegal crossings have over the past year been spiking and where Washington inertia over decades has led to few solutions, almost no solutions. Uh, caught in the maw of all that dysfunction is George Allen Kelly, who told law enforcement who arrived at his ranch about a mile and a half north of the border and eight miles east of Nogales, that he fired warning shots at a group of men crossing his he actually brought, uh, called for the folks from the border uh, control to come to his uh, to his home because he said, I fired some shots. They looked around and uh, they found nothing uh, of any consequence. And uh, then later on, uh, somebody stumbled across I th- I, I, th- this uh, dead body. And uh, uh, anyway, they were brought back out again. And uh, uh, this individual was shot in the back. 
Uh, and uh, uh, Kelly uh, says that uh, he saw a group of people uh, coming onto his property, uh, and and uh, uh, he and his wife uh, heard uh, some noise. They heard a gunshot. And uh, you could see that his horse was frightened when they saw a group of men carrying AK-47s moving across his property. The, according to him, the men were dressed in khakis and camouflage and were carrying large backpacks, the defense asserts. And uh, then he went onto his porch. He, Kelly, went onto his porch with a rifle. And uh, soon the leader of the group of trespassers, according to him, pointed an AK-47 at Kelly. And he fired several warning shots over their heads, according to him, uh, and the group scattered. So that's his story. Uh, and uh, then another individual uh, will has uh, come forward. His name is Jorge Einza. Uh, and he's told the the Santa Cruz Sheriff's Department, uh, who arrested Kelly, that uh, the bullet entered uh, Buidema's body from the back lower right portion of his rib cage, and exited from the upper chest uh, upper chest area. That's what the Republic reports. So. Um, Anyway, a lot of disconcerting things, a lot of things that don't add up. One of the things that uh, Boas uh, presents in here is it was over 100 yards. Uh, did the folks on either side, the defense or the prosecution, uh, the witnesses really have the ability to see that far, uh, whether there are guns in people's hands? Actually, I, I, you know, maybe he had his binoculars. I don't know. Uh, but also maybe his eyesight is that sharp uh, on both sides of the equation. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I've talked to ranchers time and time again who have said that they have had people trespass on their property. Talked to one rancher who said that the foreman on his ranch had uh, uh, a drug runner come up to his foreman and put a gun to his head and say, if you tell anybody about this, I'll kill you and I'll kill your family. I've talked to ranchers that have had their homes broken into, their cattle slaughtered, uh, and, and on and on and on. The fact is, this is out of control. And now we have a heartbreaking situation uh, where uh, this is unfolding right before our very eyes. The federal government has a responsibility to get its act together. They have a responsibility not just to make the law, but to enforce the law. And if the federal government had done its job, this would never have happened. I'm making a plea to our policymakers to do your job. Make sure that the immigration system in this country works. Make sure, first and foremost, that our border is secure because a country with no borders is no country. Do everything that we can to make sure that heartbreaking situations like this, either way you look at it, either a man was murdered or an innocent man is being accused of murder. Either way you look at it, it's a heartbreaking situation and the government has a role and a responsibility to get on top of this situation and to make sure that something like this never, ever happens again. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. It's been a wonderful treat for me to be able to talk with you this day and share some of the important issues of our day. I thank you for joining me. Matt Salmon for Mike Broomhead signing out.